welcome to Grid Talks, your weekly RC podcast, with your hosts Russell Lee and Chris Bowden, bringing you the latest RC news and interviews from around the world. Sit back and enjoy as we talk RC Hello cars. and welcome to Grid Talk, your weekly RC racing podcast with your host myself, Russell Lee, and of course the fantastic Chris Bowden. How you doing, Chris? I'm alright, mate. How have you been this week? I'm alright, I'm alright. I wish it would stop raining. I can deal right, with the cold, mate, to be fair, but I ain't too fussed with the rain. Not like we can go anywhere anyway, is it? Well, that's true, yeah. Other than Verdanks. So, well, anyway. I think everybody's gone there this week. I know, week. yeah. We'll talk about that later, probably. Anyway, uh, before we get into it, mate, let me say thank you to the sponsors. So, thank you to CMO Distribution and Schumacher Racing, the guys that do a lot for us every week and a lot for RC in general. So, thanks, guys, and thank you for staying on board for another 12 months. You are the best. How you been? What you been up to? Anything interesting? Not really, mate. Not at all. Nah, nor me. A uh, couple of odd jobs here and there. A bit of decorating. Yeah, I had a couple of messages off um, some listeners saying that we they enjoyed last week's show. With, yeah. With our, mate, with our man Dustin, so well done. So obviously we'll get Dustin back on towards the end of the year, but I don't know where exactly. Now, this week, we have got another associated racer. Racer, Chris, maybe not. Gaff general, a general, uh, an a associated gaffer. general, we'll call him. It's been a yeah. while since yeah. he raced. And we have got, we've finally managed to get some, some Schumacher driver next week. So just for you you guys oh, out God. there who think we aren't, dis- we are discriminating, I promise you we're not. It's just felt like this. So we've got some other teams coming up over the next couple of weeks. Well, that's actually, for, that's more probably a lie, that Chris, because we haven't got anyone booked after next week, have we? So. No, I've got to, I've got to go through my. Uh... Yeah. My list of yeah. Message all possible. the people. Message all the people who haven't replied again. Yeah. So, I wonder if they listen. All right. Let me go and find Craig Drescher. So Russ, I think he's just popped up. Are you there, Craig? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, yeah, we can hear we can you. Hear, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Living so- in the sticks. To- it's a bit of a disaster living in the sticks with my um, internet reception. Yeah. It's a whole new episode and story for that. Yeah, this, um, this so, driving me mad. Just so our listeners know, uh, we tried to get internet at Craig's little cottage out in the country, um, but it was no joy. So he actually jumped in his car and driven to the top of a high hill with his <laughs> with his headphones or, he, or he's, in, he's in car. Um, yeah. And he's actually sitting in a car park somewhere having a chat with us. So uh, thanks for going the extra mile, mate. I appreciate it. Um, let me give, no let, problem, mate, let, let, let me give you an intro, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Craig Drescher, um, 11, 11 times European champion, 14 times national champion. He was a world finalist in five different classes. He won a reedy oh. race, and apparently he's the Finnish national champion, or was. Uh, yes, that's correct. That's so, me. So, hi, guys. Hi, Russ. Hi, Chris. How are you doing, Craig? You all right? <laughs> Not too bad, thanks. After my little es- escapade in the car, but um, I'm here now. That's all that counts. See, it's, 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 it's good to get you on, mate. It's good to get you on. Uh, can I just pick you up on a few details? Yes. Fourteen national titles. Is that just for off-road? Yes. Uh, I'll state my. I'll state my. Um... Testing your facts now, Russ. I read this on NeoBuggyNet. <laughs> Um, Whoa, it, it, was quite, uh, it was quite a long time ago, mate, because you said you were 36 when you were interviewed. Yeah. Oh, I am. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but no, I'm, I'm kidding with you. I think um, I think it's. I'm, I'm not actually sure if it's 14 for just off road, but I have got quite a few TCs in there as well, yeah. and one eight scale electric buggy, which Neil says that I can't officially claim, but <laughs> the trophy's at home and it's an official title, and I'll take it. That's why you're his boss, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Chris. I think, I yeah, think I he's just, my I'll just stop myself then, but that's cool. He is the boss man, that's what you mean. Yeah, also as well, when I was doing this research on neobuggy.net, um, it said your, one of your career highlights was Neil Cragg winning the off-road championships in 2005. The, the Euros, his first Euros, or the, or the World Championship. Yeah. The World. You said that's... Yeah, that's yeah. For me, for me, Neil was a young lad that I brought up, nurtured, looked after, helped bring along, saw potential in, and for him to go and win a year, his first Euros and witness him winning the Worlds was just brilliant. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Did, it you, was, did you race that, that one, or did you retired then? No, I raced that one. I made the final, I think, in four-wheel drive and missed out in two-wheel drive. So I wasn't doing much off-road then, to be honest. It kind of all... I think back then, actually, I wasn't doing much kind of racing. TC was my thing back then for a while, and um, I just dropped into the big events for 10-scale off-road and um, still managed to make the world's final, which I was really happy about. That was running the BJ4. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so it was, um, that was a long time ago, though. But, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I think even now, seeing guys like the Halls come up through the ranks and pick them up early and you know kind of work with them and see them have success in the racing like i had success with my family back in the day and that's another big factor that i like as well the kind of family unit yeah um side of it that always kind of gives you a, a an added bonus to you know to experience these kind of things not just with the person but with their family as well so it, it's always a delight to see it i mean any any kids doing well is brilliant to see and seeing any kids doing racing is, is fantastic yeah, I mean, the AE team, like, when you go to the big meetings, you can kind of see that you've instilled a bit of that, and you're in the uh, the family atmosphere in it. You know, you've got the Halls, Neil and Mick. Uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of uh, younger kids given the opportunity to be part of a bigger team there. Yeah, I think the right fit is very important for the team. I, as always, and always have said that the family unit um, counts for a lot in my book. I went racing with my dad, my family, Neil with his dad, his family. It's, you know, we see it in the halls as well. And I think it installs good discipline and good morals. And, you know, it, it kind of brings a nice environment to the team. There's less edge in it. Um, but it's not, you know, Neil was flying solo for many years in 10 scale, you know, to the point where he actually wasn't enjoying his 10 scale racing because he had no team around him. So, you know, with some good team mates around him, it's enthralled him a little bit more and infused him to kind of be motivated to race again and started enjoying his racing a little bit more. Uh, you know, he really enjoyed the eight scale because of that in, um, in in many aspects that the team was nice and fun and in, obviously enjoyed the racing as well. But to have that around you when you spend so much time doing it, it's really important. Yeah, so the atmosphere is lovely at the Nationals. I know you probably you haven't had a chance to get down to them yet, have you? Um, not not for not. long. I've, I've dropped kid, you do, be, be dropping to the, on the kiddie one normally down with the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just popping to say hello. Yeah, it's, um, I think obviously in light of COVID and everything else, it kind of made me realise that 
I think following one series is not necessary, but maybe mixing it up between the 10 scale a little bit more and the 8 scale is um, is going to be kind of the priority moving forward if we ever get out of this mess. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously your job isn't really, uh, well, it is on the racing, you look after the race team, um, but you are officially the European sales manager slash representative. Yeah, that's correct, which is, it's all encompassing really. So I deal with the sales side for Europe, which is obviously dealers, distributors, um, and I obviously I'm, I'm heavily influenced um, and influencing with the distributors, with the team, organizing with the team, some product development, but very little, you know, feedback more so nowadays from what the team guys find out. So a little bit all-encompassing, really. Any issues, problems that arise, any pricing problems that come up, then um, then I get to um, get to have the joy of dealing with all that side, which I still enjoy my job. I enjoy the RC business. You know, it's been my life and my passion for so long. It's it's difficult kind of not to. You yeah. do get bogged down in the de details sometimes, but, you know, I've been in it for, what, 30? 30, 30, I don't even want to yeah. tell you how long I've been in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the surprising thing is that most, you don't see a lot of, for that 30 years, you have pretty much just been solely AE, haven't you, apart from four-wheel drives when AE didn't make one? I've been loyal to my brand. It's, um, yeah, I, I don't think that's any secret. And again, that's one thing that I like and look for in the guys that we pick up and, and, and bring through the ranks that they're kind of going to hopefully, you know, stay with us for a good chunk of time. I know it's a little bit more versatile these days. There's more brands to choose from. So the temptation and the deals are, are out there for people to take. And if that's what they want and that's what they're after, then I, I've, I've passed kind of getting upset and taking it personally. I just say, just move on if that's what you want. You know, for some people it's worked well. You know, Lee was with us for many years, Lee Martin, and um, he felt very much like he was number two behind Neil. Um, and he decided to move and went to Yokomo and had great success. You know, he's been there a long time now with Yokomo. So for him, it kind of worked really well. Um, it was just a natural progression for him. He wanted to be a team leader. Um, we never stipulate who is a team leader. That's usually dictated by results. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. It's just a natural hierarchy that's formed. The guy that's doing well seems to be kind of leading the troops and leading the, the guys with setups, etc. So that's, that's usually just a, a natural forming aspect of being in the team. Some people don't like it. They want to feel more valued and some people like their place that they're at and I think ultimately if you've got a good group of guys that get on well they like the competition amongst each other and, um, and from there on it sorts itself out. We do get the odd bad apple which takes a long time to actually weed out and can cause lots of problems. Yeah. So. I mean from being around the pits obviously a lot of the meetings from you know nationals all the way down to you know just your random club meet in the Midlands there's not none of the IE guys. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any ego there with anybody really. There's not well bad ego. There's everybody has a bit of a laugh, but mm. yeah. And, uh, you know we've we've tried we've worked really hard on that. It's not always been the case, and it won't always be the case in the future. You know you do get the odd bad apple, but we tend to kind of let them sort themselves out these days. And you know they're usually kind of the people that complain a lot that they're not getting help when they don't actually put their hand up and ask for it. And that, to me, is, you know, I always say to anybody, if you need help, ask. Because if you don't ask, nobody knows. And we've had a few instances in the past, 
at Nationals and Euros where people have got really upset, felt like they, they didn't get any help, and, and I've just confronted them and said, you know, what's the problem? Well, I've heard that you're not happy with the information that you've been given. You never really asked for it. We go around the pits at these big races and we ask everybody, are you okay, you okay, you okay? Put your hand up and say, no, I need some help. We can't, you know, deal with everybody, especially like Euros and stuff these days when we've got like 40 guys running the products. It's, it, it's difficult to keep on top of everybody and we do do our best job. Yeah. And everybody has their place in the team to kind of manage their peers as well. So it's, we're fortunate at the minute that we've got a really good group of guys that looks after themselves, um, enjoy spending the time with each other and enjoy helping each other. And that's just it's what it's all about now. I'm past all the high-end racing stuff. I've been there when all I care about is just results, results, results. You know, I'm a miserable bugger if I didn't get the result that I felt like I wanted and winning was everything. And, you know, now I see the fun side of it and there's so much more to enjoy in it than, than just going out and, and winning races. Yeah. Well, you know, with, with your job, obviously you, um, you worked for an association for, for quite a long time. Were you originally, um, when you stopped racing, d d does that affect your job at all? When, you know, when you transition over to, or, or were you working for them as a racer? And then, and then you, as you stopped racing, you went into the, the sales side of it. How, how did that transition for you? Uh, well, basically, I was taken on by Gene. God bless him, yeah. and uh, work for them doing promotions. So as my racing started to tail off and I was less focused on international races, I, I guess, was working kind of as an ambassador, promoter, um, doing kind of the team stuff to help, you know, make things work and bring people on board and keep an eye out like they did when they picked me up. Yeah. Um, and get people on board like Neil that can kind of try and mentor other people as well. So... Um, and then the sales started, so I kind of started dropping in on shops and dealing with CML as a distributor and dealing with the shops that they dealt with and going around, you know, dealing with the sales staff at CML and just basically keeping my finger on the pulse with everything that was going on in the market. If there was anything that needed to be looked at, mention it, anything that needed to be developed, do it and test it and, and see what came of it for our particular tracks and surfaces. Yeah. And then, you know, slowly but surely, the sales side kind of took over the race side, and the race side was the, the less important side and more of the, the kind of the fun aspect of the job. And, and the work was the, the serious, more involved part there after, you know, taking up more time. Yeah. So it, just, it progressed naturally, to be honest. Yeah, cool. But I mean, obviously, yeah, every now and then you dip back into racing, don't you? Um, I do with you boys at Dudley. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, is it the longest-standing club in the country? I don't know. Uh, I, I know possibly. I was racing there in '88, I suppose, and it had been Back going a good war. few. Exactly that, and there was there was still loads of people before that. Yeah, so. I think um, it, it's probably between there and um, Stafford GC. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure which one would like to take the honours or or claim the honours, but. Um, it's pretty close between them two being the longest standing club in the country. I'm pretty sure of that. So I've loved my club racing when I've done it. Um, it brings everything back that I still want to be competitive. It hurts deep down inside when I, when I did come back and made the B final at, um, at the Winter yeah. Series. That hurt deeply, much to everybody else's pleasure. Um, but, you know, I didn't do anything really to rectify it, just them couple of runs each each month 
was enough to kind of catapult me onto the next race, and eventually I, ma I managed to TQ a few of them. Yeah. Um, didn't actually win because I choked, but um, but I was <laughs> I was quite happy that I, you know, put up a good show against some you know front runners yeah. for the national series, which was yeah. really nice for me to do. Yeah. Did I mean, you uh, did you TQ that ahead of uh, Richie Thorne, but you only had a 10.5 in, and he had a 6.5. I think I might have TQ'd one round with a 10.5, yeah. But, um, yeah, we won't, we won't mention that because it'll upset Richie, but... Um, oh, we'll he, upset, don't, he, upset, never, he doesn't listen, he doesn't listen anyway. Oh, he doesn't listen anyway. No, I'm well, sure we his mates will. Yeah, yeah, I whooped him. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have sent it a bit no, too hard um, there. <laughs> my my um, project that winter was to try and prove to people on a small track that you didn't need a full-blown modifier to run two-wheel drive indoors on a small, I was going to say high grip, but uh, Dudley's obviously very low grip, yeah. but uh, that you didn't need a, a super fast, high, full-blown modifier to, to go and compete. And it did prove that it could be done, but I'd say I've got you know still a fair bit of talent compared to a lot of the people out there, and it was very hard for me to do that, so I... I think for the second race, halfway through, maybe dropped in the modified, and it was a lot easier. But you know, it did actually prove that you don't have to run the the high-end modified for the club races, and the cars be way too fast and overpowered for the size of the track that you're on. So it, you know, but trying to convince the masses to do something like that is it's not a job for me. Yeah. And stock racing over here is just it's just never worked. No, no. you'd much rather yeah. just. People, yeah, people like, well, well, a, a lot of, of, I've heard this, some, I don't know if I've heard it at the track or on another podcast, people are going to race what the mates race, you know, yeah. so it don't matter what, you know, if you if, if you turn up at the club and there's 10 people with, with the stock or 100 people with a, a modified, you know, I mean, Bowden are probably going to race in the stock class, but I'd be straight in there with the mod. Yeah. Would you, what Bowden, would you be running the stock class? You wouldn't, would you? With 10 would people. No. <laughs> Craig, we, before we came on, uh, me, uh, Chris and I were talking about the first time we met you. Um, so Chris, Chris told me an awesome story about how you gave him a part for his car. Do you, do you want to tell the story, Chris? Oh, Christ, it was years is it, ago. Is this the, the B3 story? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, so like, oh, was it? We were... At, because I was a kid saving up pocket money, I ended up importing mine as we've gone over from the States because it was just like £100 cheaper. So I'm sorry. Support your local model shop. Every week, Chris. Every week, support your local model shop. Every week at the end of the show. Yeah, but say. I, was, I was a kid. I was foolhardy and uh, <laughs> impatient. Yeah. Go on. And broke. Go on. I was mowing lawns for, yeah. a money, for my money. Yeah. We, won't, um, we won't judge you as a man on the actions of a boy. You, yeah, you carry thank on. Thank you. It's <laughs> appreciated. Um, so I'd got this car and it was like I was there was I think there was three people at the meeting with it. I was one of them. I think you were the other Craig and for some reason I think I, I want to say Neil, but it yeah. might not have been. I can't I genuinely can't remember. It was a regional I think or so I'm not sure whether it would have been Neil, but anyway, beyond the point. Um so bear in mind it's the first time I've raced this car, first meeting I've been to, put it on the track get round in practice, yeah, that's all right, second running, uh, first qualifying, smack, S little C-hub, front of this car, just shattered, I've got no spare parts, um, obviously, 
I'd just been dropped off at the meeting. Uh, parents had popped off to do some shopping down the road. And I'm there with this bus car at like 13, 11, 13 years old. And uh, everybody's like, has anybody got a spare part? Anybody got one of these? And guess who pops up? Good old Craig. There you go, mate. You put these on your car. Cheers. And uh, the funny thing is, I never broke that part on that car again. So the, the C-hubs that are downstairs on my B3 are still the ones that um, you gave me that day. Can I have them back, please? No, you've had more than enough out of my pit bag in recent meetings. <laughs> well, what can I say? Representing the company, maybe my parts were special, you see, then, if, uh, if that's the case, if mine I never broke. Yeah, you, you just had some super strong ones because they knew you crashed yeah. a lot. Yeah, and my, my story isn't as glamorous as that. It, it was about 88, 89, and we were racing on the grass at Bishop Milner, and you were running a, a dogfighter for uh, Yokomo, and it came around the uh, four-wheel drive, obviously, and you were going off the jump in the middle, and you were, well, it wasn't really a whip, but you'd have the pair, and you'd steer towards the ground, and the car would go to the side. You know, I mean, in the 80s, that was pr that was like the real deal. <laughs> Yeah, no, you did, it, you did it every lap. It was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's it. That's my story. I really don't like it other than that, you know. But that's just a story. Oh, I, that's just a story I tell people. You, I thought, I hope the weather's not a bit loud. It's raining like hell. Oh, yeah, we've well, been heard it for quite a while, mate, but we just, you know, it's just great to talk. But, I, no, I, I mean, like, for me, like, nowadays, when I go to the races, what's really, really brilliant, special is, when I was racing and I was focused on my racing at the top end, I, I I didn't feel like I got to know that many people. But now it's like like I was listening to Sean's podcast um, that you did a couple of weeks yeah. back. Was it a couple of weeks back? Yeah, yeah. Sean Thompson from PBM, and I found that really really interesting. And Sean's somebody that I've really only got to know properly over the last probably year, really, not even year, maybe yeah. just. Um, and it's amazing to know that he was racing with Carl Marsden, he was a neighbour of Carl's, he was in all the races that I was doing and I don't really remember him. So it's brilliant for me to have like history and stories to share with like the people from the old days with whilst kind of meeting new people from back then that I never really knew. Yeah. So for me the social side's more important than anything right now, you know, and I think it's highlighted it in the lockdown. Big yeah, you know, it's kind of, and what I do hope it brings back is the fun aspect of racing. And I, yeah. and, and I, and I actually hope and pray that it brings back more regional-based racing, so we don't do all these massive international competitions, and just national racing. I just think, you know, keep it local, keep it regional. We might be in this situation for a good year before we can start doing that. And I just hope people don't lose sight of that moving forward. You know, because that's the number one beauty of this hobby. Yeah. Escape is so it's, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, so, so you wanted to talk about my Finnish national champion. I did, yeah. I did. I want to know how you how you won that. Was it a, we couldn't have been a series, surely. No, it was a, a one off rate. I didn't even know I'd won it. I think it was I think it was Yuna that told me or Mika his dad that yeah. said <laughs> he said, Oh, do you remember when you were Finnish national champion? I went, uh no. <laughs> and apparently, I went out to a Euros warm-up, and the warm-up was, I guess, in Rauma, in the hall that the the World Euros and all that was um, was in uh, throughout the years. And um, 
the race that I attended was their national championship and they let me in and I won it. So I became Finnish champion. I don't know if it was double Finnish champion, two and four wheel drive, but, um, but yeah. Because I, I, I always remember Rob Gammon telling me the story. He went on holiday when he was traveling the world and went to New Zealand and he did their national race and won it. So he was New Zealand national champion for a year. Oh, no. So, so was, like, it, was uh, it a Euros warm up or a Worlds warm up? I think it would have been the Euros yeah. warm up pre Euros because the Euros took place before the Worlds. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure what year it would have been. Well, the Euros in Rauma were '95, so maybe '95, '94, maybe something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been. But, um, so, you know, I, go on, oh, sorry. I'm just going to ask you, uh, me and Chris, were, I'm sure I've asked you this question before, I don't know if it was on a, on a podcast or face-to-face. How come you never won a world, mate? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know what, I mean, I'd probably honestly say that I, I was having too much fun. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what it came down to. By the time, because I did well from a very early age, and had a you know a, a good chunk like in the early 90s to well in the 90s basically, you know when I won all the Euros and stuff. That was in that you know block yeah. of block of nine years basically, 11 races. So there wasn't many years when I didn't miss something. But yeah. I guess went to university, racing took a bit of a backseat. I always pulled myself. I was a big race guy. I was more reliant on natural talent than practice and, you know, finesse in the setup and all that kind of stuff. I was yeah. a bit of a sheep when it came to setups. Um, and, and basically, kind of, I always lost my way a little bit at the big races and uh, never kind of just, like, stuck by my own knowledge and my own experience. I kind of ended up following what others were doing. And this is kind of why I say to all the guys now, just imagine it's a club race. What would you do at that club race when you've had the best ever result and your car was the best it's ever been? Just put yourself in that mindset and kind of do what you feel and know would be best for you, not what Jay Holes is doing or Cliff Lett or something. Just, uh, you know, kind of work on what works for you. Yeah. And, um, and you know, you, you, you kind of, like, get lost in, in the moment. And I think I didn't put enough track time in compared to others. I wasn't as dedicated, and I had a lot of fun at the races, going out and having fun and drinking and all this kind of stuff. So, I kind—I of, would say I've got no regrets, but I do kind of look back and think, you know, if only I'd have put a little bit more time in or been a little bit more dedicated this year or focused that year, then maybe I could have. But you know, I could have put all that effort and still never won one. Yeah. So you never—you never know, and, and until you know, unless I could go back and do that, then I will never know. So. Yeah. I had, um, you know, I had lots of success in many different um, categories, as you said. You know, I did well in on-road. I made seven world finals between all the on-road classes, seven oh. world finals off-road. So. Yeah, it was. I've got twelfth pro ten for tenth pan cars, um, two and four wheel drive off-road, and tenth touring car. So what made you? Yep. What dragged you off? What dragged you away from the off-road to, to the touring cars, Craig? Did, did you find it was? Um, because I know I know buggies kind of died off a little for a little while, didn't they? Is that, and that, that that's when it was? Yeah, I'd kind of like I'd lost a little bit of interest. Um, I was still quick, 
but I wasn't putting the time and I was getting beat. I was kind of, I think at the time, development was fairly slow from the company as well. We'd lost a little bit of focus and been overtaken maybe by Losiu. It felt like they continually had like better products than we did at the time and I couldn't compete. You know, guys like Ellis and then were running all the Trinity um, zapped cells and we didn't have them. We didn't know about them. So power was low. The performance was a little bit down. It just got like really hard work yeah. just to compete. And because I was loyal to the brand, I didn't just then go, ah, you know what? So I got, I got a bit fed up, to be honest. You know, sales were down as well because we weren't producing some of the, the hard-hitting products at the time. And we were embarking on doing the touring car. So the TC3 was um, imminent um, and basically spent a lot of time um, working with the TC3 in the early days. I jumped to run a Yokomo in pre- preparation for the TC3 coming out. I did do some um, some testing over at um, in the USA with Cliff and uh, and Roger Curtis with the TC3 in the early days to figure a few things out, which was really cool and interesting. Um, and then basically decided to focus more heavily on the on-road class because it's going to be it was the bigger class at the time then. Yeah. So by the time we were released, we released it was really important. So I committed to that class. Um, and had really good success in that class, so I went on to, I already had history doing 12th scale um, and, and, and pan cars, so I, I liked the on-road stuff, but again, it was kind of, I was relying on my natural ability, and I was up against guys like Spashit, who had very, very in-depth car setup knowledge. And, which, went, and went to bed at 9 o'clock every night. <laughs> well, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, there was, when I was at the races, I was really serious and I was as competitive as anybody, you know, to the point where you hate your rivals. And I, I kind of like, don't like looking back on that side of it because it was, it was quite brutal. Yeah. I don't think it's as intense as what it was back then. It's, um, you know, I remember early days for Florida Winter Champs 10 scale off road at the time that it was, it was pretty hard hitting between Losi and Associated back then. Yeah. I was like the team team guys didn't speak to each other. They had to be in separate pits. There was often flare-ups and little dust-ups <laughs> taking place. And it was pretty brutal and rough on the tracks. And, uh, you know, I look back and it was cool because it was so competitive and rival-driven. But um, but from the social side, it wasn't it wasn't as nice to be at the event. Yeah. So I took on on-road and... You know, I had many, many successful years with the on-road class um, touring. Um, you know, it's helped by the fact that we had the TCT3, which was amazing. Um, you know, for a good number of years, it was the top car. So I won national championships. Um, you won the relay. So you won the relay race 2005 with the tourers. I did, I did, I did, and that is my most precious win, actually. Absolutely. So just not the fact, not just the fact that it was the U.S. Reedy race, but, you know, my dad was ill at home. I wasn't going to go. Um, he said, just go and enjoy yourself. Have fun. I'll be all right. I'll be here when you get back. And to come back and tell him that I'd won was pretty, yeah. pretty special. So, sorry. Yeah, that was one. So, yeah, 2005 was, um, it was a good and bad year. It was a bittersweet year for me. Um, I think that's the, the year that Neil also won his Worlds and, um, you know, there's quite a few like milestone kind of events and uh, and results that took place, as well as obviously sharing them with my dad and then losing him at the end of the year, which was um, yeah. obviously 
devastating. But um, so the Reedy race, you know, the US Reedy race 2005 kind of is my my pride of place win. I, I, and we always said before I even won it that it was one of, if not the hardest races to win. You know, the off-road exactly. and on-road. Yeah, that's what everyone says. It's yeah, Dustin said that last up, week. It's brutal heads-up racing. It's you know, it's you've got to have luck. You've got to have everything going for you. And I think I, I won it on tied points. And the kicker was that I believe it was Yinez Grosskamp that I was tied with. And he had a hissy fit because um, he said that they'd changed the rules um, so I could win it, which really pissed me off because I was like, are you kidding me? We had a driver's briefing when the announcement was going to take place. Yeah. Um, but he kind of must have forgotten or not got that memo and not attended or listened. But, you know, it's like, but that hurt to think that somebody thought that I'd kind of taken it away from him or won it unjust. Yeah. It was a hard-fought race. And to be honest, year before that, I could have, not could have won I had a good chance of winning and I think the year after as well I had a good chance of winning and my my speed controller shut down when I was in a position which would have given me the points to win and I remember Reinhardt coming over to me and say, shaking my hand <laughs> obviously not the thing that you do when somebody's just had a, like a breakdown and you say thanks mate <laughs> <laughs> and I said no you bastard <laughs> crazy, man. So yeah, so I could have won it a few times. I won the UK one uh, a couple of times, which won at Snetterton, won at Halifax. Obviously, the level of competition wasn't as high as what we'd seen, obviously in the USA, because that was the pinnacle of the races. Scotty was kind of like the the main announcer when he was new into the game, so it was it was just it was it was amazing race. It was always fun. I loved the track. It was you know it suited me down to the ground, so. I had many, many good years at on-road, but again, that became tedious down the line. It was all about the bench racing and the time that you put in prior to the race. And um, again, I struggled. The TC3 became long in the tooth. And, um, and basically... Is that, when you start, that's, is that when you started doing the eighth car? Well, yeah, we kind of like, you know, we'd slowed down with sales. The release was like the four, the TC4 wasn't competitive. It was hard going shaft drive kind of the, the, the power was too much for the shaft driven cars with the torque steer by then and um, and it just became very difficult I was running Novak at the time with um, with the Brussels systems that kind of got you know left behind a little bit so I was struggling there and it just seemed like every part of my program was lacking a little bit so again I lost a little bit of love <coughs> excuse me I could have jumped ship and um you know, taken on other brands and stuff, I stayed loyal, and um, to the detriment of results, you know, as, as it were, so, but that's what you do when you're kind of committed to a company, so, yeah. <laughs> so yes, that's when I started looking to come back to off-road, just for fun, sorry, I've got a frog in my throat, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and, um, and then started doing the eight scale, just for a bit of fun, really, and never, never got the under the eight scale car. I think I had a good couple of results, but I never felt connected to it. Yeah. So I was just, and every time I drove an eight scale car that was electric, <coughs> I immediately felt comfortable. <coughs> so the nitro side for me was always a bit of a, a disconnect. Yeah. So how? So what's this unknown about e buggy championship you won? 
Oh, yeah, the e-buggy champ national championship 2015, I believe it was. Okay. That was my last national championship. How, so. many, how many people were in that? Uh, me and Willits. Oh, uh, okay. Me and, me and Cy Willits. Well, it was, I think it was the year that the BRCA decided to do all the e-buggy races as warm-up races for the Nitro to try and encourage people to go along to the and do the e-buggy truggy. Yeah. And it started off popular. I think Hearts was one of the first rounds. Everybody was doing it that was doing the Nitro um, Championship. So Elliot, all the all the all the big hitters, Lee, Neil, whoever you want to throw in there, was was attending the race. But then they they got halfway through the season, blowing up speed controllers, not able to last. I think 10 minutes finals back then, and. Um, Slowly but surely, race on race, they they died off, and I ended up fighting for the championship with um, with Simon Willett. So it's between him and I going into the last round, which was at Endor. Yeah. And uh, I managed to win, but it was a tough, tough race. I know you can laugh about it now, but it was a proper was it a close battle? Knee knocking, close battle. Yeah, it was. I think we had two finals back then, um, and basically. I think the first final I got taken out, wiped out massively, and I had to come back through the field. And um, and he was laughing at me on the rostrum because we both knew it. We were both winding each other up. And then I think the same happened to him in the in the second final. Yeah. So I think I ended up winning by one point. So I held on to the lead. He got second, and yeah, it was it was it was a good end to the a fitting end to the championship yes. between two vets. But um, but yeah, that was my last national championship. Long time ago now. So I mean, I've I've spoken to you sort of before about some of the cars you've got, but have you still? Because I know you've got quite rare and weird cars that you've saved. I think you said you've got a B3X, which was like the prototype from the B3 to the B4. You've got um, the TC3 Durango, which is one of my favourite cars. Um, yeah. Did you keep any of your cars from like Reedy Race or anything like that? You know the ones that you, you I've know, got special my, cars. I've got three quarters of my Reedy winning car from 2005 in the US because it was um, it was a prototype car, and um, I, I think we continued to run it whilst we waited for production parts. So I broke Delrin arms and a few bits and pieces but I've got the body from it I've got the car but I was always one that kind of like I never shelved my winning cars back then I continued to use them if I won a Euros chances are I'd have a national the week after so I'd run that car and uh, rebuild it run it again and just carry on for the rest of the season so I regret not saving it but um, I've kept a lot of the prototype stuff the Durango that I kept was um was obviously from Gerd, but um, but Gerd, there's a funny story behind that. It was um, Gerd had have the cars back every time from Durango to rebuild them. The latest iterations would come the next time you had it. Every time he got it, it was full of electrics, servos, speedos, receivers, probably transponder, probably batteries, motor, full. Every time I got it back, it was empty. <laughs> And this happened like four or five times, and, and I was just like, he, he didn't speak very good English back then. I was like, where's the electrics? Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> So in the end, I just said, you know what, I'm keeping the car. <laughs> but 
in payment for all the electrics that you've had off me. So um, he kind of complained about that and wanted to keep it, and I just said, no, that's mine. He never he never protested too much, so that's how I acquired that car. Pretty much stole it, really. So it's. Um, but then I've got like a Yokomo um, that Masaki built for me for the Barcelona Euros, which arrived on the Monday after I got back. So no. I've still got that as, as it came to me. Um, not that it probably would have made much difference back then because we were up against the double X4, um, and that was that was a pretty solid performer back then. So it was. Um, I remember I'd go and win the Euros in Barcelona um, in two-wheel drive, and then I'd be in like the C or the D final in four-wheel drive. So that was pretty painful. Yes. <clears throat> so, but um, and then uh, yeah, like you say, B3X. <clears throat> I got some. Nitro cars that I ran because I ran a little bit of um, 10 scale Nitro for a while, the um, NT, TC3 and NTC3. Uh, ran that for a while, so I've got a few of them with a few little parts on, nothing major. I've got my very first um, Tamiya Frog, which is highly modified with pink wheels and um, Kevin Blair's and Ian Oddie modified front shocks and rear swing arms and it's um yeah i mean it's a pile but it's my very very first car and i've still got that collecting dust in a box somewhere <laughs> you've also got a, a tc was it a tc3 rally car or tc4 rally car i've got a tc3 rally yeah. um oh no well it was the um the, the upgrade kit so yeah it was the tc3 wasn't it oh no actually you might be right um can't remember. It's one of them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I remember if you if you ran it in dirt, then the steering rack would fill up with mud. Yeah. To the point where it just compressed everything in that steering rack, and you have no steering. <laughs> so it was. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I regret not um, not keeping my cars, and I get lots of messages through uh, through Facebook and and whatnot with people saying, "Is this your car? Is this your body?" And unfortunately. My dad sold a lot of my stuff and, uh, and gave it to people to sell for us because we had a garage full of stuff. I mean, but at the end of the day, my dad paid for everything, so he had a right to kind of try and claw some money back and, and sell the stuff. So yeah. I wasn't very passionate about keeping it because I didn't really think, you know, that I was doing anything special at, back then. It was kind of just having fun, racing, doing well, winning things, and that moved on. I, I, I've got none of my trophies. And again, that's another regret. You know, I, I had thousands of trophies, which I ended up giving to clubs and and and, and sports shops, and uh, and throwing some away in the end because when I moved from my family home, I had no space. Yeah. yeah. And I kept it there for like ten years, and Mum eventually said, "You're gonna have to get rid of this crap." <laughs> so that's what I did. And I remember going to my mum and dad's house because I used to keep all my racing stuff there because I never had a garage when I first moved out of home. And um, <laughs> and they basically, mum said, I need all this stuff. I need to clear out. And she goes, I'm hiring a skip. You come and do it or I'm going to do it. So she hired a skip, like an eight-yard skip that was on the drive, and it was filled with old racing stuff, Yokomo stuff, just rubbish. It'd be worth an absolute fortune now. That breaks my heart, actually, to think of that. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, seeing how, like, uh, how much I love seeing all the retro stuff and, you know, the, the re-releases and, yeah. the, you know, the quality builds that people do. I love all the stuff you do, Russ. All the quirky stuff. 
stuff that you do. You're ahead of your time, aren't you? No, I try, I try to be, mate. I try to be. I just, With the drag racing. And yeah. I, I just think... You know, Go on. Yeah, I, I've, I've, you mentioned drag race. It was something I was going to bring bring up with you. Um, last time I spoke to you, you know, we were talking. We spoke about GT12s and how the class got ruined over, you know, like two or three years with the battery war and the motor war. And yeah. now there's no prep drag racing scene. He's just been dominated by space frame carbon fiber cars. <laughs> you know, it's just like six months, mate. Six months and the class is ruined already. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's still going great guns over there. You know, there's still people running, you know, um, kit spec um, cars, and it's, you know, it, it, it's still, it's one of our biggest sellers at the minute, actually. And, and you know, purely North America. Um, I'll tell you what, that was a, it was a blinding move, mate, to do it, you know, because the scene was massive. Um, but what, 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 you know, um, before Associated started doing a, a permanent drag car. You know, uh, sorry, not permanent. You know, a fully built drag car. I think it was a yeah. blind, blinding move. You know, it's done really well. It's been a really popular kit for us. Hence, obviously, all the colour scheme introductions, etc. But um, yeah, we don't know what what will come in that class next. You know, the guys have got some ideas and um, some quirky bits and pieces. But you know, the it, it, it's worked over there because it's it's back to basics. It's just a bunch of guys getting together they throw some cash down winner takes all and they're, they're having fun with it yeah like they used to do in the old days with rc you know you didn't care about the track whether it was groomed or clay or whatever it was just a pile of dirt and grass and tires and whatever thrown down and you know before we had computers it was just people having fun running around in fields and getting together the social side was the priority the racing was secondary and I think with these guys, it's kind of, you know, you can go out and have fun with your mates and you can come back with $800 in your pocket. Yeah. So, of course, when you say all the all the carbon frames and space frames that are going on now, and it, of course, will eventually ruin it. Yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go crazy, mate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. one of the things I was going to ask you, but I think you've kind of already answered it there, really, was um, you've been around a while. What era of racing did you prefer? Obviously, I get the new cars are faster, they're easier to work on, they're more durable. Arguably, I think some of the older cars have maybe got a bit more character. But, um, yeah. which, you know, which which era was your favourite to race in? Was it the older stuff? Yeah, definitely. And, and the reason why, because there was so much excitement around product development. Cars were made for worlds and for particular tracks and you know you just don't get that kind of like ingenuity anymore it's you know an imagination you know like the stealth car coming in in 89 in, in in sydney in st ives you know you looked at that and you were like that is so cool you know it was fantastic to see it was designed completely off the wall the drop down hubs and you know space forward front wheels you know, much like modern-day cars now, a lot of the, the influences derive from kind of that platform. Yokomo, I remember the Americans came and the Yokomo ran the monoshock on the front, which just looked awesome. And I think, I think back then, there was fewer companies doing it. The products were harder to get hold of. Um, you had to really be, you know, in the team to be within any chance of getting them products. Like, I, I know 89, which was at St. Ives, um, I made the final. I was the only standard RC 10 to make the final. Everybody else ran the 
stealth car. So for the 91 Worlds, I got given a stealth car and ran it with the team there. So um, so that was kind of nice. Proved myself, proved that I was um, kind of worthy of it. You know, but team drivers weren't given out willy-nilly back then. You kind of had to prove your worth. And the product development was great with the big wheels and Yokomo's fancy tires. And it was just it was just so much more exciting. And I'll never forget Cedric when we had a CML Masters race. And you were probably there, Russ, when he put the display on for um, his collection of RC10s. Yeah, yeah. Were you at, were you at that no, one? No, that, that was the year. Be- that was the year before I, I um, went. And so he had right from the very first car right to the, the the current car. And anybody that came to look was always down the 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 1980s end. Because yeah. he had them all laid out with tags in front of them, and you look at them cars, and it's there's just so much more. There's more fun in them when you look at them. It's like you know some of the bits are goofy, and you go, why did you do that? But you pick them up and you feel them, and it's like it, there's just so much more to them. They just look better, feel better than the the plastic fantastic cars that we see today. Of course, that's the way it's developed, and the cars are hands down better designed and better performing faster every, everything um, that we see today the highly tuned cars back then of course they were highly tuned to the best of the abilities but you know if we'd have just made the arms an inch longer they would have been <laughs> yeah <laughs> it would have been amazing but um, so have you but, uh, um, have you still got your RC10 the because the, the, obviously you had a re, you had a re-release you raced at that meeting didn't you uh, Cedric actually sourced me and um, did me an RC10, which was an original. Yeah. And I've still got that one, um, which obviously you guys have seen me smashing around occasionally. Yeah. Um, and it's been loaned out to Jason and a few others. So I've got that one, and I've got an original RC10 as well, which wasn't mine. My dad, years and years ago, uh, for a Christmas present, bought me an original Worlds, uh, not Worlds, an original RC10. Um, and a Tamiya Frog, uh, which was original. He bought them both from America, and one of them never arrived. The RC10 came, but the Tamiya Frog never came. And I've still got that boxed up in the garret, in the um, in the loft at home. <laughs> Brilliant. So I've got um, yeah. I just I, w- I do wish I'd have kept versions of cars, the colour schemes. I've still got quite a bit of stuff, but um, but it's not the old old stuff that I would love to kind of have displayed and. Everything's boxed up from the move. I've not had it out for probably 15 years. So I'm just in the process of building a workshop at home, which I do want to kind of get up and running and have all my RC stuff kind of like really nicely displayed with a nice workbench and everything kind of in its place. And, and look at doing some of my old cars up. Yeah. yeah. So if you're building a workshop and you're getting a bench, you're going to come up do some club racing? Come, do, oh, come and do regionals, man. I would love to get the kids into it. You know, take them to a few races, get them down Midlands Raceway and Dudley and just do some club racing and just let them spend some time goofing around for a day with the cars and um, and just let them smash them up and see if they're interested because I always complain that people have got kids and the dads are still racing and the, the, the kids are sat there twiddling their thumbs. And I love what you're doing with, with Bruce. It's, you know, you know, I'm always so into that when I see Bruce running his car around and stuff because it just it excites me. I love it, and I'm just like I slag people off for not getting their kids into it and stuff, and I've never actually done it 
on my own. But I've never also wanted to push them into it because they play in the garden with their RC cars. We take the, the CR12s up the Reekin. Um, we'll walk up there and back, and it'll take two or three hours to do it, and they drive the cars up there and have fun. So for me, if they're playing with the cars and having fun, then that's good enough. But I think they would, especially my daughter, actually. She'd, she'd show quite... Um, she's shown quite good skills with the cars we built a little um on-road track at our place uh, during the first lockdown and she was pretty good there she used to get quite frustrated that she couldn't beat me yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> so she's shown she's shown some good spirit there but <laughs> but we'll, we'll see so I'd, I'd like to get her into it and i would um you know and the way to do it is through the clubs get him a truck I'll be nah, that's, not, that's not for me. I, I, you know what? I know everybody slags you off, Chris, for being um, captain club race with your um, with your with your truck racing. But um, I do like the cl- the trucks. Captain club race. <laughs> that's just. But, um, I think uh, yeah, and it's a great class for people getting into. But there's just it's. I don't know. I don't know why people don't connect with it over here, but um, but you know it'd be it's a great introductory class. They've got the uh, nationals this year, so hopefully it takes off a bit. And with Schumacher doing the storm, there's a bit more competition out there because there really wasn't. Yeah. And, it, um, and it needs that. It needs that in order to grow. And it, you know, something has to come from nothing. And you know, the trucks have been around long enough to kind of find their place. And it. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't become more popular. I'm just not sure. You know, it's, it's kind of, I guess, died down in the States as well now a little bit. Probably because the buggies are so good now. You know, two-wheel drive is accessible, it's fast, it's cheap, easy to work on, you know. It's it, it, it's not complicated. Yeah. Tires yeah. are cheaper. It's You know, it, there's... there's um, and also the size of the tracks that we're racing doors, it's, um, you know, it lends itself to smaller cars. So... I, yeah, I'm not going to race trucks. So I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never live it down. People like Craggy and um, and the likes will probably never speak to me again. So are you the, you're right. the boss, just, you know, sack them. <laughs> but I think that's part of the problem that all the pros or heroes always joke about the trucks and stuff, and I think it actually hurts the class because of it. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's competitive at EOS races, the, the truck class there, um, uh, and it's nice to see them running around, but people do laugh at it, but I, I think anything that we can do to get people into the hobby, we should look at doing. The thing that made me want to buy a truck was, um, do you remember that Arena 33 EOS when Una had the the T6 and it I don't even, I don't know whether it had only just been released or it was due to come on um yep I do I remember I that and that big associated tabletop at the back and he was just clowning around and he was whipping it and um he was practically getting this truck like upside down and then just flipping it back over at the last second it was uh it was awesome it just made me think oh, that's so much fun I really want one of those I remember racing Alex Mortimer's Nitro Truggy um, at a couple of races and practicing with it. And uh, and I said to him, I said, it's so much fun to drive because it takes so much more abuse. Yeah. It, it was brilliant, but obviously, um, mm-hmm. 
we don't see many of them around either, which it's, it's a shame. I, I just, um, I don't know. For me, it's nice to also see, you know, 10 scale off-road bounce back like it has done. You know, it's a really strong class now, which is nice to see. Two-wheel drive especially, which I was really fond of, you know, I think majority of my wins in Euros was two-wheel drive. And um, it was my preferred class. So it's nice to see that popular. It's good for club racing. Like I say, it's cheap. Plenty of choice out there. It's you know, it's it's a plug and play job now these days with two wheel drive, especially like on the indoor scene and carpet stuff. Yeah. So that's it. They're they're accessible to everybody. The two wheel drives aren't they? They're uh, they're not overly complicated with all the the crazy. Well, what have you got in your front diff, your centre diff? I tell you what, four wheel drives are fast, mate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there we, like the, there's there's a couple of the club races at Midland have got them, and they have a heat on a Friday night, and they are just ridiculously fast. You know, it, it can't be fun <laughs> driving something that quick on, on a ten on ten to half second lap with jumps I, in, I watch, included. I, I so watch them at the EOS at the EOS races, and it is like they're like like a cat on heat. They, it's like they're they're so intense to drive, especially when you see them drive them after two-wheel drive, it's like the things are so out of control but then when you see a good one going round yeah. you know, I've watched Bruno in the early days with a four-wheel drive at the EOS races after his world win and a year or two after that, and it is incredible when it's working that well I think, you know, it's just to see one go round that fast and be driven that well is is something to behold Yeah it was fairly impressive, but um, but my my uh, my childhood hero was uh, Masami for sure. I think uh, I got to see him race for the first time in '87 at the Worlds in Romsey when he won with Schumacher, and from then on he was just my hero. He Did was... you ever see him drive with his feet live? Yeah, 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 I saw him drive a couple of times with his feet. It was his party piece between the. Between the end of qualifying and the finals, he'd, um, he'd do a party piece where he'd drive with one hand, he'd drive with his feet, he'd drive with the radio upside down, he'd drive, uh, <laughs> he'd drive, he'd drive his car any which way he could. But um, it was always fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, you would, you wouldn't see that kind of thing going on now because people are complaining he's getting extra track time. Yes. But, um, yeah. But uh, no, it was, uh, it was pretty good. I mean, we, we. We used to be at races, um, and Masami was the guy that would practice anything. Apparently, legend has it that he used to kind of like practice with um, with motorbikes and all sorts just to sharpen his RC skills if he couldn't race. I remember in Pomona, so the, the ranch pit shop worlds, um, he was in the same hotel as us. I was running Yokomo four-wheel drive, and he built a track in the car park that was made out of he basically laid out uh, wheels brand new wheels from his from his box and and um, there was a couple of chairs with plywood jumps and he'd just be out there doing practice after practice after practice literally non-stop it you know whilst practice was going on for two or three days like it did back then um every night he'd be at the hotel but he'd be tuning the car as well setting it up and looking for certain things that he might be looking for on the on the track aspects that that require more steering or whatever else and he'd come in his dad would tune it and they would just run for hours in the car park 
And uh, yeah, just just non-stop relentless. And I always said Masami was amazing, but it always felt like he got to where he got to through just sheer running and trial and error. Yeah. With the setups and finding what he wanted and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and and I think that kind of like mentality showed that it was just he was a cut above the rest because of the amount of stick time he had. Yeah. Just driving that damn thing. I remember saying to him. Come on, I'd watch, stand there like a little kid watching him, and it, and I go, can I have a go? He <laughs> go, okay. So, and there was a jump, which was two pieces of wood, nothing in the middle, so it was like open, and I basically did two laps and I ripped the whole front end. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I caught it on the edge of the jump and went, oh, cheers, sorry, uh, as you went, yeah, back. Knocked about twenty of his wheels all around the car park. Where, where it but what was it, what was his car like compared to yours? Was it faster? No, it was. I don't. You know, I don't know. It was just like nine times out of ten, it was the same. These guys. It was always difficult going to the states and doing reedy races. I think the highest place I ever got in an off-road reedy race was maybe fourth. Um, but just you know, because of the jumps and the, the, the clay, we, you know, we didn't see many clay tracks that weren't just smooth with bumps that weren't just smooth with jumps we had bumps and no jumps and much higher speeds and it was just very technical very different so even though we go out and practice we still weren't competitive we probably do a little bit better in the four-wheel drive class but generally speaking them guys were immense you know and the jumping was the standout part not so much these days you know i think the the playing field's a lot more kind of like level these days. Yeah. So, but um, but no, Masami is definitely my long-standing hero. Cool. Right then, favourite car? If you could go to a track tomorrow with any of your cars you've had since uh, you started racing, which one would it be and why? <laughs> um... Am I just allowed one, or am I allowed a couple? Uh, no, you go for it, mate. You, you go for it. We're all well, the RC10. The R- the I remember when the RC10 first came out and seeing that thing go in the the hands of Jamie Booth, Lawrence Harris, Richard Isherwood, and them guys. It was like amazing. It was just butter compared to everything else out there. So the RC10 probably would be number one. But weirdly, to drive. One of my favourite cars was probably the Predator. It looked like a pile when you watched it from the sidelines. It was just goofy looking, but so far ahead of its time. And that thing, when I drove, I came back and did it off the road for a couple of seasons. And actually, I think I finished second in the championship um, and was a, like a real strong runner against Neil. I wouldn't have beaten him, but I was, I was close and, and knocking on the door a few times, which considering I'd not done off-road for so long, that thing just was brilliant to drive on our style tracks back then, multi-surface or astro. It was just it was just brilliant. You know, it didn't particularly look the best and was hopping around, but once you were behind the wheel of it, it was so easy and comfortable to drive. It was a little bit fragile. I mean, I almost run a Euros with it, actually. The Euros that Ian Kennedy won, um, I got second, I think, and... Um, and um, I hadn't raced Euros for a while, you know, it was just like coming back and sliding straight into it. So that was a great car to drive, a bitch to work on, but um, 
but ahead of its time for sure. And then TC3 takes some beating. The early days of the TC3, you know, when you had a standout advantage with a with a car because of the efficiency of the drivetrain, that was pretty immense. So I'd say I'd say between them three. That was my era. And then of course, yeah, that Durango was obviously that came from the TCP. I'm still wondering when you're going to let me have a little play with that. Well, you're more than welcome to have a play. It's, um, it's not. I don't think it's got any running gear in it. Good, probably took it all out. But um, <laughs> I've got but, a couple of old Novak speedos. We could and a couple of old Reedy motors. We could probably get a a replica going. I've got to be honest. The old Durangos weren't what the production Durango was like. They were kind of cobbled together. It was a good concept and kind of heading in the right direction, but um, in the early days, not very well executed and performance was a little bit kind of, it's unfair to say lacking, but there was better products out there. You know, at the time when I was running it, we're up against like the low CX and that car was pretty special for a long period of time. You know, handling wise and uh, uh, and design it was that was you know that was far ahead at the time in my opinion compared to the Yokomos and stuff it with that were up against it yeah a few so, people uh, said that yeah it's um so yeah it, it wasn't great and I, I can't remember how long I ran the Durango for but um we definitely Maybe he let us down for the Worlds in um, South Africa. We ended up running Schumacher's there, I think. There was so, something went on. I, I can't exactly remember what it was. It's so long ago. Yeah. But, um, but no, it's it's difficult to say. But um, but no, that's that's my history in a nutshell. Awesome, mate. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, with that, we've been going for just over an hour, so we're going to look at letting you go. Uh, before we do, Chris, do you want to yeah. ask any last questions? Um, actually, yeah, you mentioned something earlier. You know, you said about we used to have a, a Reedy race in the UK. Yeah. Any chance of getting something like that going again through AE? Or if it was, you know, it would be a good race to have as like a, a once a year sort of big <laughs> national type event, wouldn't it? Well... Never say never. It's At kind Robin of like Hood, um, say, middle of summer. Yeah, yeah, Robin Hood, middle of summer, outdoors, few beers. Sounds like a cracking me, idea to a me. Class Craig. that me and Chris could <laughs> race in. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It gets, it gets mentioned um, every year. I know the the guys are trying to resurrect or were discussing resurrecting the one that was in um, Austria and Porsche. Um, we had one at Marston Palmer in the UK. So I think um, I think they like to try and keep it stateside. In all honesty, these days we we have discussed it, but they don't want to ruin the prestige um, of the race, and it would have to be something very special for them to kind of push it outside of the US now, yeah. unfortunately. But um, I'm all for the Reedy format. I always say club racing should be straight line starts and heads up racing. Why we do staggered starts at club racing, I have no idea. No. Bring back straight line starts, fun racing, get people to learn how to race again rather than just qualify and um, and have fun with it. Bring back FTQ. Bring back. Indoors, Bring yeah. Back. 
yeah, but man, we just started a, a massive tide debate there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> no, no, just bring back FTQ. You go out four right. runs. Yeah, you go out. You four run. You get your four runs for qualifying. Your fastest time of the day gets ranked in with everybody else's fastest time of the day, and that's where you are. Yeah, but the problem is it does. But if you haven't got a good time, it does force you to put new tyres on towards the end of the day. Hence the the tyre issue. Oh, it's racing. <laughs> Craig, oh. do you want to thank anyone before we let you go? Friends, family, or sponsors? Long suffering wife. <laughs> All and everybody. I think this this. Um situation just makes you realize what you've got and what you miss and um just to stay safe everybody and thank you for listening if you do listen and um i hope to see you all at the track sometime soon perfect mate thank you very much guys thanks ever so much um i look forward to seeing you soon at the local club dudley winter series absolutely and he's gone there we go Thanks for coming on, Craig. Hope you listen to this one. I mean, that's cool that Craig Dresser listens to our podcast, mate. It is a bit that's, spooky, that's yeah. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> so, what have you been up to, mate? Um, Nothing much. Did a bit of 3D planning for what will eventually be the, the sort of race day motorhome. Yeah. And apart from that, I had a new, dish, had a new uh, washing machine and... The only 10 mil spanner I could find was an old TLR eighth wheel wrench. It was that old. It wasn't even TLR. It was just TL. <laughs> did it do the job well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it got it in. Yeah. It was done. That's great. So that your RC highlight of the week is you used a lossy team driver to install a washing machine. Well, I don't know. That's... That's class, mate. That's class. Yeah. I, however, have been rather busy doing um, a, 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 like a rock crawler, um, scale crawler body in like yep. a rusty patina effect. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. I put them on the group. Yeah, yeah. It looks good. Looks right, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It looks, looks good. Right. Yeah. Looks, looks really right. nice, actually. Like yeah. I think I said to you earlier, didn't I? You uh, you just need to figure out how to do it in reverse now on a light on a Lexan body. Yeah, it won't work, mate, because you'll be shiny as well. Well, yeah, it? but look. You like? How cool would my truck look going round with that on? Yeah, well, your truck don't look ever look cool going round, mate. Mate, it does. It does. <laughs> Cooler than your truck ever did. <laughs> yeah. Right, time is cracking on, mate. So we look at thanking the sponsors. Yep, so thank you to CML Distribution. Is it Keith, Wes, Alex, all your other guys there? You know, keep up the good work. I know it's uh, hard at these times, but carry on. And the same to you guys over at Schumacher Racing, Muzz, Trish, uh, Robin. Keep it up, guys, and thank you for your support. Perfect, mate. Absolutely perfect. Um, I would like to thank the listeners, guys. Thank you for getting involved. Thank you for liking and sharing. I believe we had uh, 40 shares on last week's episode on Facebook and quite a few engagements so you know thank you for getting involved um, and also we'll be putting all the shares into the, the Christmas draw that's it for me so Chris so I'll, I'll see you next week mate yeah, I'll see you next week bro.